0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. In a previous study in Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 21, uh, we saw that Isaac, the son of promise was born. He's called the son of promise because he is the son that God promised to Abraham and Sarah and the covenant would flow through him. The covenant God made with Abraham would flow through him, through Isaac and then Jacob, whose name will be changed to Israel. But also in Genesis 21 uh, verses 1 through 21, we saw Hagar and Ishmael Get sent away by Abraham because of Sarah's request. And then God, on top of that, supported her request to have Ishmael and Hagar sent away. All because he was scoffing at or mocking um, Isaac, who was about three years old at that time, who was having a celebration because he was winged. And so we saw that in uh, the previous study in the first part of Genesis twenty one. We also saw that God provided water for Hagar and Ishmael after they ran out of water on their journey. And this would save Ishmael's life. Ishmael, at that point, he was about to die from dehydration. But God stepped in miraculously. And God even promised Ishmael or to make Ishmael a great nation, even though he was not the son of promise. Because remember, Isaac was a son of promise but in Genesis chapter 21 verse 21 we're told that Ishmael lived in the wilderness of Paran and that Hagar found him a wife from Egypt which was her homeland and so that's how the previous study ended and so we'll pick up still in Genesis 21 at verse 22 it says and it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol The commander of his army spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. And so uh, this is a reminder for for some. The name Abimelech means Melech is father or my father is king. And so this may not be the proper name of someone. This may not be his specific name. Instead, Abimelech could be the title of the Philistine kings. And during Abraham's time, Abimelech was a king of Gerar, a Philistine king of Gerar. And so even though we saw an Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20, it does not necessarily mean that this is the same Abimelech from that chapter. In fact, uh, Bible scholars are divided. They're divided on whether or not this Abimelech is the same one. From chapter 20, just to be sure, and that's because once again, um, this could be a title um, of Philistine kings. Uh, but notice that when Abimelech and his commander Fial uh, came to Abraham, they said, "God is with you in all that you do." Uh, but the question is, what made them say that God is with Abraham in all that he does? Uh, Was it his prosperity? He had many servants. He had uh, various uh, animals that were part of his uh, flocks and herds and things like that. Uh, Was it because of that, his prosperity? Or or was it um, because of what God said to him about Abraham in a dream? That is, if this is the same Abimelech in Genesis 20. So was it because of that? Is that why he said that God is with Abraham and all that he does, or maybe it was the way that God protected Abraham, maybe that 's why he said that about him, or maybe it was in the prayer that Abraham gave uh, that that God used to heal Abimelech from Whatever he was going through and also healed his wife and maid servants to heal their womb so that uh, they can bear children. Maybe it was because of those things or maybe, uh, maybe just one of those things. We're not totally sure of why he said that God is with you in all that you do, but we know that all of those things that I threw out at you, we know that all of those things are true. But one thing we know for sure is that uh, something Stood out about Abraham that made them say that God is with you, Abraham, in all that you do. And I just wonder tonight: Can people see God is with us? Can they see that same thing that Abimelech and Phicol saw in Abraham—that God is with him? Can they say that God is with us in what we do? Maybe they look at our lives or your life and they see that something is just working out for you that may not be working out for someone else. And, and maybe they're just seeing that the difference between you and that other person who may be going through that same situation is that you serve the true and the living God, that you serve the God of the Bible, that they, that you are the one who put your trust in Jesus for salvation. Maybe that they, they see that that's something you have done that maybe the other person has not done. But they see that things seem to work out for you, Or maybe they see that even though the same thing happens to you and the person who doesn't trust in Christ uh, as their savior and Lord, maybe they see that your demeanor and attitude is different, even though you were laid off as well, even though you had a death in the family as well, even though you're having certain struggles, whatever it may be as well, the same struggles as these people without Christ have. You have, but yet and still your demeanor and attitude are just different. And so I just wonder, can people see that God is with us as well? Or on the negative side, do they see the results of the flesh? Oh, may that not be so with us. Do they see maybe sin in our lives? Do they see maybe poor decisions on top of poor decisions? May not? May that not be the case with us as believers. In verses 23 and 24, it says, now, therefore, and this is Abimelech still talking, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or deceive me. It says with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness or loyalty that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. So swear to me, make a vow, promise me that you won't be deceitful with me or my children or descendants and that you'll be loyal to me as I've been loyal to you. And also to the land in which you have sojourned or temporarily lived, in other words. And we see that Abraham. Listened and and he did what he requested, he, he, he swore to him so maybe the fact that god was with abraham and, and and protected him caused abimelech to be concerned about his relationship with abraham or maybe if this is the same abimelech from chapter 20 maybe maybe he just remembered how abraham didn't give him all of the facts of the relationship between him and sarah and so he was deceitful In that situation, so so maybe he remembered that or remembered that happening to another Abimelech, because remember, uh, again, that could be a title. But whatever the case of why he, he would want him to to make this oath or promise to him, whatever the case is, we he wanted to make sure that Abraham would not deceive him or his descendants in the future and that they would have and maintain a good relationship, and so he made him swear, he made him give an oath or vow. And we saw what Abraham did there. He did that. And so all of this was done. What we're seeing here, verses 23 and 24, it was done in order to make sure that there would be peace between Abraham, him and his descendants, him being a And so for an application point, just reminds us that we, too, are to live peaceably with all people, of course, if possible. And it tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, that if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But notice it says as much as depends on you. Which means that we need to make sure that we're doing our part to ensure that there will be peace between us and others. However, we cannot control other people. Because there are just some people that they're just going to want to cause and will cause conflict no matter what. No matter how peaceably we, we live with them or how peaceably we speak to them. But as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Once again, Romans twelve eighteen, in and verses 25 and 26. Back in Genesis uh, chapter 21, it says, Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had seized. In other words, they violently seized this well of water from Abraham. And Abimelech said, "I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it uh, uh, of it until today. It's the first time I heard of it. And so, at that time, and even now, it's obviously it's obvious that that having a water source is available is important." So we all need water. We need water for drinking. We need water if you have animals, for animals. And of course, uh, Abraham at that time had tons of them. Many people were herdsmen and so forth. And and so they needed water, just like we need it today. They needed water for crops, for cooking and so forth. And so having this water source was so important. And so when it was taken, this was no small issue. And so instead of letting this issue linger and instead of allowing this issue of having this water source taken, just just cause bitterness in Abraham's heart. Abraham spoke to Abimelech about it. He brought it to his attention. And so as believers, as people who put their trust in Jesus Christ, we can learn something from this interaction between Abraham and Abimelech. And so for the believer, uh, we can look at Matthew 18 and see how we should handle a situation. If another believer or brother in Christ or sister in Christ sins against us. No, I'm not saying that Abimelech was a believer. Uh, but of course, we can learn a principle of going directly to the person who may have offended us or sinned against us. And so, of course, this would be the first step in this process of, of handling um, someone sinning against us who uh, who was a brother or sister in christ and so the first step we see in matthew 18:15. and so uh this is jesus speaking he says moreover if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone if he hears you you have gained your brother so that will be the first step not to gossip um not to go you know directly to the pastor go past go as monopoly and then and, and, you know you just go straight to the pastor. You just escalate it all the way to the top. So you want to go to that brother or sister who sins against you first and try to handle it that way. So once again, this is just uh, the first step, and you can t- continue reading Matthew 18 if you want to see the following steps. If if the brother or sister does not hear you, you see, like Abimelech. You know, this person may not be aware that they sinned against you. They may not be aware that there is an issue. And so this, of course, could help clear up some things and could close the door on the enemy causing any further chaos. You know, just by us practicing what we see here uh, from Abraham, just sharing the issue with the Bimelech. And just like what Jesus says here in Matthew eighteen, fifteen, by simply uh doing those things, we can close the door on what the enemy is trying to do, because if you leave the crack open, the crack in the door open, the enemy is gonna stick his foot in and cause that gap to be wider. You see, the scripture tells us to not let the sun go down on our wrath. And so in a situation like this, if somebody sins against you and and you don't and you're really offended by it, you don't go to them and speak to him or her about it. You just let it fester. It can turn into hate and and bitterness. And then you start thinking about revenge and all these things. And so you are just allowing the enemy to have his way with you. And so you want to be careful of that. So we look back at Genesis twenty one. We're going to read verses 27 through 30. It says, So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant, or this binding agreement. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness, That I have dug this well. And so in Genesis uh, 20 verse 14, this Abimelech, or maybe a previous Abimelech, gave Abraham some sheep and oxen, male and female servants, and even uh, gave Abraham back his wife Sarah. So you have to go back and read Genesis 20 to kind of catch up with that story. And so all all of this happened after uh, Abimelech found out that Sarah was really Abraham's wife and not only his sister. And, And then we look at what we just read here in Genesis 21, verse 27, because there it appears that Abraham gave at least some of the sheep and oxen back. And then he made this binding agreement, this covenant with him. Now, it is possible that these animals were sacrificed in order to ratify or confirm the covenant or agreement that he had just made with Abimelech. But then we see that Abraham also gave him seven ewe lambs or or seven female lambs in verse twenty eight. And Abraham did all of this in hopes of preventing further issues or confusion about his well that was violently taken by Abimelech's servants. You see, these ewe lambs they would serve as a witness, as as living witnesses or evidence or if you will, a reminder that Abraham is the one who dug that well and therefore it really belonged to him. And so all of this, once again, put in place so that there would not be any further issues in regard to this well. The arguments settle. Deal is done. And so for us, you know, maybe we need to pray about things that, we can put in place in our lives and things we can put in our, in place, not just in our lives, but between us and another party in order to prevent the same issue or argument over and over again. Maybe to prevent, you know, some people emailing the church over and over again over a particular issue. One thing we've done, we put things on the website. We, we put information on the slides. So that we won't have to have the same conversation over and over again. And it will free us up to do other things in the ministry. And then in your personal life. If you find yourself having the same argument over. You know, whatever over who, you know, belonging this is or whatever the case is or whose responsibility it is to do a certain task. You know, maybe you could put something in place where you write something down, put something in writing, do a verbal agreement. Something, But but it doesn't make sense to to waste our time arguing over the same thing over and over again. So pray about it. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Lord, what can we do to put something in place so that we won't continue to have the same argument or issue or disagreement over and over again? And praise God, we serve a God who is wise, a God of wisdom, and he invites us to come to him for his wisdom. See, God loves us. He's our heavenly father. Those of us who placed our trust in Christ, he's our heavenly father. And so there is nothing too small that 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 we would consider too small for God to be concerned with in our lives. Genesis 21 verses 31 and 32, it says, therefore, he meaning Abraham called that place Beersheba. Because the two of them, him and Abimelech, they swore an oath there. Thus, they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Now, this name Beersheba literally means well of the oath or well of the seven. And so this name comes from the oath that Abraham made there, of course, with Abimelech. And then the other name, it could be the well of the seven that 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 alludes to the seven ewe lambs that Abraham gave to Abimelech as a witness that, look, I dug this well. You took these seven ewe lambs, female lambs. You acknowledge that no more issue about it. But that's what Beersheba means. And it marked the southern extent of the land of Israel. And so as you continue to read the scriptures, you're going to see this phrase, maybe from time to time, from Dan to Beersheba. And so Dan would be the northernmost part of the land of Israel and Beersheba would be the southernmost part of the land of Israel. And as you continue to read the scriptures through the Old Testament, Beersheba would later become a part of the territory of Simeon. Again, in the southern area of Israel, and we saw that it was given to the tribe of Simeon in the book of Joshua in chapter 19. Now, today, this this place still exists. It's a real place. This is not a fairy tale that we're reading. This is we're reading some history here, some real things. And so today, uh, Beersheba still exists as Beer. Shiva with the V. And according to Britannica.com, it has developed as the administrative, cultural and industrial center of the Negev, the southern part of Israel. It is also Israel's hub for research and development in the technology, cybersecurity and aerospace industries. So this place that Abraham named is still there, still thriving. In verses 33 to 34, it says, Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. In Abraham, verse 34, he stayed in the land of the Philistines as a resident alien. He stayed there many days or for a long time. And so he planted this tree called a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And he began to call upon the name of the Lord. Either it can refer to prayer or just worship in general. Now, in regard to this tamarisk tree, this tree grows in arid or dry desert places where there's few other trees. And it furnishes welcome shade. For the traveler. So it's a shade tree. It also has this thick foliage with pink or spiky blossoms on it. And so this is the type of tree that he planted. And when he planted this tree. It it was almost like he was looking forward to him and his descendants staying in that land. Because he would go on, of course, as the scriptures tell us, that he would stay there for many days, for a long time. But yet and still, he was a pilgrim in this land. This very land, Canaan, we call the promised land because God promised it to him and his descendants, which, of course, are the Israelites. See, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, it refers to. Abraham and some saints, those in the hall of faith, refers to them as pilgrims, pretty much looking forward to the heavenly city. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight, it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age Because she judged him, she judged God, faithful who had promise. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith. So Abraham, Sarah, um, these people before them who were mentioned, these all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So he was a pilgrim, a stranger in the very land that God had promised to him and his descendants. And for us who are, Children of Abraham, spiritually speaking, because we have faith in the same God as this um, father of faith, if you will. Abraham, as believers and as citizens of heaven, we, too, are pilgrims on this earth. And in first Peter, chapter two, verse eleven, the Bible says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners or temporary residents and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts. Which war against the soul. And so we're pilgrims. Our citizenship is in heaven. And on this earth we are also ambassadors. We represent our heavenly king. God. The God of the Bible. We represent King Jesus. We represent that that eternal city. the, The eternal heaven. The eternal Jerusalem. We represent that city. And so we're just passing through. And so we're not to become too attached to the things of this world. In fact, we're not to uh, live as the citizens of this world who are a part of the world system that is influenced by Satan. And said the the way we should live our lives as sojourners or people who are here temporarily representing the the heavenly city of Jerusalem. We should behave ourselves, conduct ourselves in a way that is worthy of a child of God in a way that truly represents God the way He needs and should be represented that is walking in or living in righteousness and holiness, walking according to the word of God, living in obedience to his word. See, these fleshly lusts, they war against the soul. They war against our inner man, the immaterial part of us, the seat of our 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 will. Our emotions and so forth. Our intellect. They war against those things. You see, God wants to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. You see, at the moment of salvation, when we're justified, when we repent, put our trust in Jesus, our our spirit is alive now. Our spirit is alive in God. It's alive in Christ. And so our spirit. Is immediately saved in our soul that that part is going through the process of salvation. We're going to heaven, but the soul is being molded and shaped into the image of Christ. You see, but if we don't abstain from fleshly lust, which war against our souls, we're not going to progress in the sanctification process as we should. And so, therefore, you have some Christians who are more spiritually mature than others because some Christians are given in to the fleshly lust a little more than a more mature Christian. But then if you never heard it before, the final stage of salvation will be the salvation or the redemption of our bodies when we receive glorified bodies with no more Having a sin nature we won 't have a sin nature anymore we won 't have this battle against fleshly lust anymore we we won 't have um, our bodies just growing old and getting sick anymore there won 't be any more death with our glorified bodies, which is the final stage of salvation and so that 's why when you read some scriptures as i 've just explained that that 's why you read some scriptures that that speak of uh, salvation as Having already been done and something that's in the process of being done. And then, of course, you hear about something that's future because you you do have that past, present, future aspect of salvation. You see, but if our uh, if we're saved at the moment or if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we're saved at that moment. And so the, the Jesus says, the Bible says that you've already passed from death to life. And so once again, our. So we've been molded right now to the image of Jesus. We're being conformed to the image of his son. By the power of the Holy Spirit and, and through the word of God, that's why we need to continue to feed our souls the word of God. Need to continue to surrender to the Holy Spirit and walk in the spirit, and then we won't fulfill the lust of our flesh. So while we are here as pilgrims on this side of heaven, we need to watch how we live. We need to watch how we represent our king and the kingdom we belong to. Because the world is watching us. They they want a reason to not have to be held accountable to God, to the very God that we serve. They want a reason to be able to blaspheme our God. And so we are not to give them that bullet, if you will, in order to blaspheme our God. We don't want to be the ones to get in the way of anybody from the world who does not know Jesus. We don't want to get in their way of glorifying our father in heaven. Because Jesus says that we should let our light so shine before men that that they'll see our good works and they'll glorify our father, which is in heaven. But if there's no good works coming from us. If there's no change in us. Because we are given into these fleshly lusts then we can get in the way of them glorifying our father in heaven. Now, to be clear, we're not saved by the good works. But. We are saved to do those good works, and so the works should match up with the salvation that we have. The works should match up with the new nature that we have. Okay, so so we need to to make sure that we keep things in perspective and biblical. And so before this chapter ended in Genesis 21. And I know you caught it because you're you're smart. And so that's why I have to study so hard, because you will call me on the carpet if I miss something. But before this chapter ended, we were introduced to another title for God. And so this is the first time in verse 33 we see that. But this was the first time in the Bible that God is called everlasting God. In Hebrew, it is El Olam, the God who lives forever. And so once again, Abraham planted this tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and he worshiped, the scripture said, the everlasting God. In other words, he worshiped the eternal God. And so what does it mean when we say that God is everlasting or God is eternal? What does that mean? It means that God has no beginning or end. He always existed. He was not created. If he were created, then whatever created him would be God. But he is God. No beginning, nor does he have an end. And not only does that go for the father, that also goes for the son, Jesus. That also goes for the Holy Spirit. Because in God, we see this triunity three in one. So if you do the math, there's no addition taking place, not one plus one plus one, cause then you get three separate gods, but there's multiplication is one times one times one. And so you still get one. And so that's what it is in the Godhead, the God that we serve. And so all three persons in the Godhead, they share this particular essence to share the same essence, and so uh, being eternal is included in the substance or nature of God. It's a part of of what He is. It's just built into what God is. He is eternal. Like I said, it's a it's a it's included in His essence in His nature. So part of what makes him God being eternal. The universe is not eternal in spite of what some people may think. Because some people can see the universe expanding. They can see that the scientists acknowledge that. So if it's expanding, if you were to press rewind, that means it would have to have a starting point. But God doesn't have a starting point because he is the everlasting or eternal God. that That's the God we serve. And, and being the eternal God. Because he is that. That means that he is not limited by time. He is not affected by time. In fact the same God is the one who created time. He created time. He created space. He also created matter. But let's say that God. Let's say that if he never created time, what would happen to him? He would still exist because he's not confined by time. And because God is eternal, it means that every attribute of God is eternal. And the attribute of God is something that is true about God, that God reveals about himself. See, God reveals that. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. That's an eternal attribute. It inherits this eternality that he has. So his omnipresence is eternal. His omniscience is eternal. His omnipotence, that means he's all powerful. That means that he has all power and that um, it's eternal. He has eternal power. God is holy. That's another attribute of of his. That he's he's holy for eternity. He always was holy. He always will be. And so every attribute of his. Is going to inherit. His eternality. The fact that he's everlasting. His goodness is eternal. His love is eternal. His grace is eternal. Is eternal. That's why it says in Romans where, 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 sin abounded, His grace super abounded that. Why? Because His grace is eternal. His mercy is eternal. His justice is eternal. God's goodness and every other attribute of God is eternal. It flows. The the, the attributes that he has picks up whatever is in his nature and him being eternal is in his nature, the eternal God. And because God is eternal, it also means that he knows the end from the beginning. And because the God we serve is eternal. We can trust in him. And and in one way we can trust in him is with our lives. We can trust him with our lives. We can trust an eternal God to know what's best for us. Amen. He's seen it all. He, he's eternal. Existed even before time was created. Because God is eternal, we can also trust him with the future. The future, from some of our standpoint, might look a little bleak. It may look bleak to the world. But the truth is, with this eternal God, we can trust him with the future. And we can trust him with the future because this eternal God, this everlasting God that we serve, has already been in the future. See, while speaking to Israel, God said this and. Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10, if you want to turn there or jot it down, he says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. He's eternal God. He always existed. He would be able to tell us if there was another God. He says, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning And from the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Whatever God sets out to do, he's going to do it. Whatever he says is going to happen in the future, it's going to happen. He's already been there, so to speak. He's able to declare the end from the beginning. He's eternal. He sees everything as one big now. He doesn't see everything as anything as parts. We would need to see past, present, future. He, he sees everything as one big eternal now. That, that's the kind of God that we serve. Amen. And with this eternal God, another thing we can trust is his plan. See, an eternal God who has seen all, an eternal God who knows all. He created a plan that will be successful. He will not fail. But not only can we trust his plan as the eternal God is who he is, but we can also trust his word. And the interesting thing about the word of God. Because I know we. We throw out dates and things of when the Bible was written and so forth. And in one sense, that's true. But technically, God's word is eternal because God's word was already in the mind of God from eternity. But at a certain time in history, he set certain people or men apart to record his writing in time. But his word is eternal. There's nothing that God thought of in eternity that was changed in time. Because God cannot learn anything. He cannot grow. He just is. As some people say, he is pure actuality. So that's why when he can uh, when he um, told Moses his his name, he says, I am that I am I'm. I'm just am. I'm just pure actuality. He can't, he can't get any better. He can't get any worse. He always was. He's self-existent, not created. I know some of this is deep, but we're talking about this holy God, this eternal God. And my hope is that as we, it seems like this simple topic, but as we really take it in, Uh, My prayer is that we would grow in appreciation for this everlasting or eternal God that we serve. And and here it is when when I talk about the point that we can trust God's word because he's eternal. You know, we need to think about this, too, that an eternal God is always going to give accurate information About the past, present and future, because he sees everything, as I mentioned earlier, as one big now. And furthermore, because God is eternal, that means he's also dependable. Now, remember this, Abraham found out that where he lives will change from time to time. He lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. He lived in Haran. So you see change. He he lived in various places in the land of Canaan, the promised land. In fact, he he has seen his own body go through changes to the point where he was almost as good as dead when he had Isaac. Because normally a person his age, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born, normally things are not working as they used to. But so he was almost as good as dead. So he saw changes in his body. He also even saw changes in his circumstances. For example, at one point he was with Lot, living with Lot, then separated from Lot. Then he needed to rescue Lot, and this is his nephew. Uh, Then he, at one point he had no children with his wife Sarah. Now at this point he has two children, Ishmael and now Isaac. He he even went through the circumstance of having an angry wife to now having a happy wife. And and now he's having this issue with the Bimelech's servants And Abimelech, and now this problem with Abimelech is resolved. And so he has even seen changes in circumstances. Well, as we live our lives, you may know this already, and I'm sure you do. You're going to see changes. You're going to see some instability in some situations and aspects of your lives. For example, our jobs, the job that you have, that we have, it, it may not last Our finances may go, may blow in the wind. They're not going to last. Our family size, as we know it, may change. It may not stay that same way. The same people you have living under the roof that you live under, those same people are going to go off and, and get their own uh place of residence. Maybe it's an apartment or townhome or their own house. And so your living situation is not going to stay that way. You may even add a pet or two to your house. So you're going to see some changes, some some things in your life are not just going to stay stable as you wish They would stay stable and even some abilities in your life that you have right now. Some of those are going to start to wane. Some of those may be lost. Even some skills that you worked hard on. You went to school and you learned those skills. They are going to start to wane. And so you're going to see a lack of stability in a lot of these situations in your life. Your current situation at work. That's going to change a bit. They may move you to a different team. The same people you went to school with. You went to college with. High school with. They were your best friends then. But now you've gotten older. You're not best friends with them anymore. In fact, you hardly speak with them. And so you see, once again, instability. You see change. You see difference as you continue to live on this side of heaven. You may even see some things go from good to bad. And in a hurry, you may see those things happen that way. In fact, this, this world that is, that is, as it is currently constructed and, and, and ruled. You know, we have the prince, you know, this prince of this world or whatever. You have the enemy. You have Satan. Oh, this current world, this current world system as it currently stands is even going to fade away. So you have all of this instability on this side of heaven. You have all of this instability in time. You have all of these changes in time. You have things fading away. But here is the thing about the God we serve. The God we serve who is eternal. He will never fade away. He's never going to get weak. So in unstable times... The unstable times that we're experiencing, I would encourage you to continue to trust in and stay focused on the eternal God, this God who does not change, this God who never dies, this this God who never fades away, this God in which there is stability. Who we said he was hundreds and thousands of years ago that we have recorded in the scriptures. He is that same God today. That same God that was living in Genesis chapter one that we found about that we found out about. This is the same God who is living today and will continue to live forevermore, The eternal God. So stay focused on this eternal God. Stay focused on him. Continue to trust in him. Because our our relationship with him is going to continue forever. And one day, and this is the great hope that we have. And when I say hope, I'm not talking about hope the way the world thinks of it. Well, I, it may work out that way. It might. But no, when the Bible talks about hope, it is a joyful expectation of coming good. It is something that is coming. It is something that is sure. And you have this joyful expectation of that coming. And so for us who are believers who are in a relationship with this eternal God, we will have an eternal relationship with him. We're going to spend eternity with this eternal God. First Timothy 1:17. We close with this as the worship team comes up. It says now to the eternal or now to the king eternal or eternal king, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And the people of God said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we serve you an eternal God. We thank you that our relationship with you will never end. We thank you that your attributes are eternal. Your love for us is eternal. And I pray for anyone who does not have a personal relationship with you through trust in Jesus. I pray that you would convict them of sin, that you would also draw them to Jesus. I pray that the spiritual blinders that the enemy has placed upon them will be lifted in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that for us as believers who are already in a relationship with you, I pray that our appreciation for you will grow even more. As we learn about more about your essence, about what you are, and as we learn about who you are. More and more as we continue to read and study your word. Yes, may our appreciation grow. May you help us to stay faithful to your word. May you strengthen our faith. And continue to help us to focus on you and not be distracted about these shifting things and shifting times. You never shift, Lord. You'll never fade away. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. So, Lord God, we pray that you bless the remainder of our night. Bless my brothers and sisters as we travel back home and use this this week. We pray all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer or want more information about our church how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life. Please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.